Welcome to the Recovery Crown Podcast. I'm here with my other posse, um, Tim and Neil, and we're doing another uh, intro to men in OA, my new favorite topic. Um, so <laughs> Tim is my friend from Canada, and Neil is my friend from Maryland, um, who uh, graciously joined us this morning, three hours ahead in 90 degree heat. And so, uh, I know, right? So uh, I'd actually kind of like to start with you, Neil, and, and just, uh, and for people who don't know, Neil and, uh, I know Neil and Tim one-on-one, -on -one, and then also we were recently in the Central Oregon workshop together, um, and so, which is awesome, so you can hear their recordings um, uh, on the Central Oregon website, but uh, that's my little plug for you guys, and then um, other than that, I think you know, again, like I'm enjoying the conversation of what it's like for men to come into the rooms of OA. And, um, and I think what I'd like to do is kind of do a little bit of a similar where there, rather than go into your whole story, how about we sort of break it up where it's like, you know, what it was like to realize that you needed to come into the rooms. And if you had any issues around that in terms of your gender, you know, of course, there's just the issue of, oh, my God, I need the 12-step program and whatever feelings we have. But I think what would be very interesting is, you know, for myself and any men who might be listening to this podcast is if you had or didn't have, you know, any particular issues around joining a predominantly um, female uh, recovery group. Because uh, I believe the last count was men make up 11% of, of, of OA. So let's just start. So let's take it in piecemeal, ping back and forth, and then we'll sort of go through. And um, So Neil, why don't we kind of start with you? Sure. Okay. So I came into OA in 1990. I had gone into AA in 1983. And after being in recovery for about a year and a half, uh, I met someone who six months later came into both AA and OA. So I had, you know, a ringside seat to someone who was in UA, I mean OA rather. Uh, I happened to be in UA under Ernest Anonymous, so I just, that, that may say that by mistake sometimes. Um, but at any rate, I, uh, you know, in AA, my story began when I was really in my middle to late teens, but you know, once I understood what OA was, I saw that my story kind of really happened all the way back in the beginning. And I began to become aware of that. And um, I began to look at my relationship with food in a new way. So I ended up really at my seventh anniversary in AA, I went from being, which is in January, very uh, elated, and then within a short time, really pretty depressed and feeling, um, you know, very emotional. And, um, you know, I saw that I, you know, I had relationship issues and I had a lot of resentment and I saw that I, you know, my recovery was not as strong as I thought it was. I was always very action oriented, but I was, you know, I had a kind of a competitive recovery kind of thing. It's like if I was around longer than you, I was better than you. And, and I and in, even in OA, you know, after lo losing my weight fairly quickly because I, I I never weighed more than 190 pounds and I weigh maybe 158 now. So, you know, to me, I, I got in early and I lost my weight early. Um, and I thought, well, I'm you know I'm I'm at a healthy body weight and if you're not, then I'm you know better than you are. So I you know I. But but the interesting thing was for me was that coming coming in from AA and when I first started, you know, it was predominantly men and I think it evened out and it's probably 50-50 now, but at that time and even when I was going to both programs, it was still predominantly men. But when I went to OA, it was pretty rare for me to for there to be more than a couple of guys in a meeting. And um and I found that interesting. Um you know we were still at in, in nineteen ninety the OA step book was still just really coming out. So they were still using the, the AA 12 and 12. So I came in having gone to maybe two step meetings a week and really feeling like I knew the source material and I just was very opinionated about what I thought I knew. 
that was not very popular. Now in AA, they just would have told me to shut the blank up and you know sit down. You know, take the cotton out of yours and put it in your mouth. You know, but but in OA, they didn't do that. You know, what I found was the sensibility of the women. You know, the ability to to kind of let me be where I was and let me be angry without you know calling me on it was a whole new experience and. That's the thing that I think I most needed was to understand how type A, you know, shoot my mouth off, you know, obnoxious I was. And that the women were just really going to let me get, you know, just kind of do that. They weren't going to try to put me in my place. And so I just had to hit a bottom, like an emotional bottom and say, you know, if I really want what they have, then I ought to just shut up and listen to what they what they do, and and I came in to program in Boston, and that was really the home of the whole ninety day OA type of thing, you know, where people were weighing and measuring, no flour, no sugar, the tools were not optional, you know, um, and and what I found was they treated OA like AA. So while they had that sensibility that I'm talking about, it was a no shit kind of, you know, zero tolerance for slips type of thing and I and and uh, I found a lot of strength in that. I really learned to respect women. I think coming into OA with that attitude. They were very devoted. This was a time when if somebody felt like eating, they'd invite them over the house so they'd stay over and they wouldn't eat that night. They would take 45 minute trips in a car together like commitments in AA to go to a meeting and have the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting and you know, they really treated it like AA. And um, it was it was really nice for me to witness that. And it, it made a real impression because I found that up to that point, I, I had some pretty skewed ideas about, you know, social dynamics with women. If I liked something about a woman, I was kind of attracted to the woman. And I didn't see that I was objectifying that whole thing. And that I, you know, and I, I kind of woke up in the middle of that realizing, man, you're really messed up. You know, you really, <laughs> really have some issues with women here like you. And so I really learned to respect them and to appreciate, you know, that I needed to act like a newcomer. And so I really took step one at a whole deeper level as a direct result of the way that they kind of handled me, which was not how handled me at all. Right. Let me flounder if I was going to be floundering or take suggestions if I wanted to take suggestions. And I eventually I came around. So that was my experience. That's kind of what happened, what I was like and what happened. What I'm like now, I mean, you know, well, I... Save the what it's like now. Let's okay. go in yeah. and do your okay. intro to, sure. you know, mm -hmm. what it was like for you, Tim, to come into, a, you know, OA, predominantly woman, blah, blah, blah. Tim, I think you froze. Oh, there you are. You're muted, Tim. Yeah. I had to change my network connection there. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Back to you, Tim. Oh, you were asking me a question. I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. What about your intro to um, coming into OA? Yeah. I mean, the funniest thing, you know, like for me coming into OA was not really my idea um you know like i my my uh girlfriend at the time um basically uh as we started getting closer to being able to move in together and start to share our lives the more she saw about what my home life was like uh she said hey i've had roommates that were in a way and they look just like you and i want you to go to a meeting if you would like to continue dating me um <laughs> and uh and she saved my life, like, honestly, like, um, just the way that I, you know, it was one of those things that as I got more into the rooms, I started to see what my behavior with food was like. I just thought I was fat and I had a shitty life. That's all I really got out of it. I didn't have any further analysis beyond that point. Um, and uh, and uh, as we started to get in some of the whys about, you know, how my eating coincided both with emotional patterns and just rote patterns, you know, like as we deal with it as a process addiction and as we deal with it as an actual substance addiction, seeing both of those sides, um, I just started to come more and more to realize what my, uh, the, how big of an issue I had with food. And now I recognize that 
Um, I'm a food addict, uh, which is pretty big, you know? So there was that, you know, my experience coming into the rooms I've been in since 2010. Um, and, um, when I came into the rooms in Vancouver, I would say that, um, we were just kind of getting out of a cycle of where groups were doing a very rigorous big book paced, uh, absence and we're kind of doing more, uh, it wasn't as rigorous as, as, as I think it is in Vancouver right now. Um, but, um, it was also, uh, there was also way more men than I thought there would be. I thought it was just going to be me and a bunch of women. And, and when I got to my first meeting, I think there were three men there that were able to sponsor, just mm -hmm. not, not at the times that I wanted. And to be quite frank, I wasn't really ready to, to drink the Kool-Aid for about six months. I lurked around the rooms for about six months. And then I had a sponsor, a male sponsor actually asked me if I wanted to work with them to do the steps. And at that point, that's when I started working the steps. Um, what about coming into a room with a lot of women? How was, what was that experience like for you? Not actually, it was perfect for me, to be honest. Um, a, I'm the last of nine brothers and sisters. Uh, and I had five sisters right close to me. Um, so women are kind of part of my social dynamic dynamic anyways. And then the way that the way that I was living my life at that point, like I lived in a house of basically lesbian feminists and I only had women around me all the time. Right. So, um, <laughs> so it just sort of felt like home in a way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and in terms of, and in terms of the way that they acted and reacted, um, I was used to that, you know, um, but, you know, I, I, you know, I can't say that I wasn't, I haven't been immune to the whole, um, I think that there's an element, I think, I don't hear, for me, I feel like when I got into program, there were times about learning the difference between uh, respecting and liking someone and being attracted to them. Mm. And, I, and it, it took me a long time to learn that they're actually two different things. Um, and so that, I mean, after that sort of thing was kind of, you know, now that I'm kind of, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Now, now that I'm feeling a lot more better in boundary control, because like I've never done any 12 step program before I did away. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, my boundaries weren't that good to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I, but I think as I'm kind of growing more in the program, I'm able to actually, take uh, some real leadership from the women in the room mm -hmm. um, in a way that doesn't end up being, you know, like I don't have to have a, a crush on somebody to be able to listen to what they have to say, you know, um, and, which is great because, because that's not why we're here. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah. And I think, but I, I do think that having one of the things I did notice about men's sponsors at the time that I came in, was that there were so few men that were sponsoring as I got more into the rooms. It felt like really you had to, I felt like a real onus to be able to get through the 12 steps and just be a sponsor because all the men sponsors that were around me were full or were working with people and, and, and there weren't new men coming in to actually take that role as sponsor at that point. So it just felt like, I sort of had to get ready and I had to start taking people whether in, in some ways, whether I was ready to or not. I, I and for me, I think that wasn't a bad thing because right. I'm all, I'm always a little shy on that sort of stuff. So I'm glad that, that there was a necessity that created that ability to do service, but that, that was kind of, it was, uh, I, I was a little nerve. I was a bit nervous about that. I want to circle back to, um, because I think it's an interesting topic and I think it will be really useful um, for any potential listeners around both of you having the experience of learning the difference of, you know, respecting and liking women and being attracted to them. Neil, you want to start sure. with that? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that was helpful is that when I came in, um, my wife was in OA and there were a lot of local meetings and we, we, we understood that it was a good idea not to go to the same meetings. But everyone knew my wife and everyone 
kind of came to know me. And so there was a, uh, like an imposed boundary there. So when a lot of, I mean, I've never been inappropriate really with, with a woman in OA, you know, whatever fantasies or things I had in my head was a very um, internalized kind of process. However, um, as Tim was saying, in some ways, um, you know, getting to the point of sponsorship, I did have, um, I did have situations where I sponsored women and there had to be boundaries. You know, there was like no kind of being, you know, no, no socializing. Um, and, and, uh, you know, there just had to be uh, certain physical constraints around, you know, what kind of venue we would put ourselves in together. But, you know, they became friendships sometime, but I would, you know, I tended because I was a very direct kind of drill sergeant kind of guy at the time in the beginning that I attracted the more kind of bulimic, pissed off kind of women. And then I became the disapproving dad. And like that ended badly many times, you know, like, so that was something that I saw um, was a function of my, how I shared my message, you know? And, and I think that was just a reflection of, you know, I was like a do the drill kind of guy. And I think I became a more meet people where they're at kind of, I mean, I still do the drill, but I mean, if people don't, you know, I, I, the conversation that I have up front with somebody is like, look, this is what you can expect from me. I'm going to be very big on the tools. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to expect you to be accountable. I don't expect you to do anything because I'm going to approve or disapprove. You know, this is all really, however well you want to get, this is what I do. And, and I think learning those boundaries helped me see if I had an attraction sometimes it was because I really saw potential in them to, you know, like I wanted them to feel as good about being in program as I felt about being in program. And then there were the women who were maybe just a little bit younger and a little bit cuter. And I knew that there was a physical kind of chemistry thing that was not really what we were there for. And that if I wasn't conscious of it, it was going to not, it was not going to turn out well for one of us. So learning to differentiate or understanding that that was kind of like an inevitable ingredient in the recipe. Mm -hmm. and, that, uh, and again, I've never been inappropriate with anyone, but I, you know, I make a lot of outreach calls. I, I welcome newcomers and that could be misinterpreted by some people who are more codependent, you know, certain women, you know, I mean, I, so in other words, I could be fishing in waters where it's not, you know, it's not healthy uh, for me to be calling them on a regular basis. So, you know, it's just something I become conscious of that, that, um, you know, we all have a common disease and we're all there for the same reason. And that has to be central to why I'm going to be in relationship with anyone in program, old, young, man, female, but that, uh, it's taken me a long time to value, you know, to learn the difference between, you know, I have to respect everyone. You know what I mean? I have to respect someone I don't particularly like, you know, I have to understand that if, if the person that I joust with in program most was the person who washed up on that island that I was stuck on by myself, that I had to be so grateful to God for letting them be there. <laughs> and it didn't matter that we were like oil and water, you know, we needed each other to survive. And, and, and that was a big turning point for me. In fact, that's, I, I kind of look at that as a turning point for me in OA. I had to realize that I needed, I needed to need all of the people in OA in order for me to get the maximum benefit of what that program had to offer. And most of those people were women. Right. So if I had issues with women. I had better get my shit together and understand um, how I was putting myself in harm's way to treat them in a certain way, or to be dismissive or, you know, cause I, again, I, I was just becoming aware of how I acted with other people. And of course I, I have ADD and I ended up taking medication somewhere in the middle of all of this thing for that. And I saw how my uh, impulsivity and reactivity, which were kind of a function of that, figured into this whole amalgamation of how, you know, how I interacted with people, but women in particular. So I don't even know if that's a helpful answer, but I know in my own recovery, you know, that I had multiple issues and the, and the, the psych thing and how I related to women and my disappointments and expectations and, you know, how I could overreact if I felt someone was dissing me, even if they weren't, they didn't even notice me. And, you know, and I could have thought they were dissing me and then I'd treat them a certain way. And it was just all going on inside of my head because I was hypersensitive and, you know, I was, I was, I'm a sensitive person, but you can be sensitive, empathetic and compassionate, or you can be sensitive, self-absorbed and thin-skinned and ridiculous, you know? 
Right. Um, and I've done both and I like the first one better. You know, I, I've learned to be more compassionate and with myself too, to be more accepting with myself. And I, and I think women relate to each other in that way. There's a lot of compassion between women. There's a lot more acceptance um, between women, I think. Relative uh, to men. <laughs> rel rel that's what I mean. Relative, relative to, to men. Men, men may be very uncomfortable with any kind of like quote, yeah. intimacy, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, I'm not good. You know, it's like, it's like they'll just go, and, 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 and in a lot of ways, for my first 10 years in OA, I found it very frustrating trying to develop relationships with men that had the sensitivity that I experienced regularly interfacing with women. And I really like that. Before we get on that, though, I want to ping back to Tim. So, Tim, you know, let's, um, you sort of wax philosophical for the newcomer around that journey of, um, you know, really having to unpack. I mean, because I think what we're talking about is, you know, we're so, in some sense, emotionally stunted, you know, from our disease. And then here you are, your men, you're coming in the room and you're like, oh, this woman is, I like this woman, whatever. Oh, I must be attracted to her or, or what, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just the sort of emotional um, education that you might've gone through around learning the difference between respecting and liking women and then immediately being attracting to them and then like, well, you are attracted to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have sex with that, you know what I mean, or whatever, so. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, and again, I don't, I don't think I've been inappropriate to any women program. Uh, if Which, by the I, way, you guys, I don't even think that's the question. I think it's the internal landscape. I hear what but, you're saying. But I'm open. I'm open to having a conversation. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Because you never know, right? Yeah. But, um, but I mean, I think for me, it's just there, I mean, there's times when you just are naturally attracted to people. That's the way our lizard brains work, you know? So it, it then comes down to really getting back to the principle of the program. Why am I here? Am I here to get a date, you know, when I'm already married? No. Am I here? I'm here to recover. I, I'm here to not be crazy in my own life, you know? And I think what's true for me also is that, um, as a result of doing the steps and getting uh, sobriety with food, you know, there's issues that have come up for me in terms of childhood sexual trauma that are also interplaying with this, right? So it's been a very interesting process to figure out how much of my training about what happened to me when I was younger is affecting my relationships with women and is affecting my relationships with men as well, actually. Um, and and how um, it's just program, I think, has been being able to take that step back from program to say, you know, there's a hard and fast rule for me here that it that is I do not. I don't date people in the rooms, period. I just don't. I, w I never will um, because I well, I'll never say never, but definitely right now that's not what's going on for me that's not where I want to be um, because I want to be with people recovering and I'm not sure I've seen too many people uh, hurt their own recovery and hurt other people's recovery by getting into relationships too soon when they're in program so I so for me and, and I guess the other thing to kind of tie it into is like I've been in the rooms for like 10 years but I haven't been abstinent for 10 years and I really think that those things start to change once you have multiple years in program, you know, like maybe if 10 or 15 years uh, down the road, whatever. And, and, and there was a circumstance that could, that's the only time I think that I would want to hypothetically even look at being in relationship in program. Like I just don't have enough recovery and my recovery is too important to be able to, um, and my relationships that I currently have are too important for me to, to mess with that. It's just, it, it, it just doesn't feel like a good idea. And that's one of the things, one of the things that program has allowed me to do is be able to get that kind of little voice or second skin or intuition, um, that allows me to, um, that allows me to be able to just 
make those sorts of decisions. And finally, to be able to realize, like, finally to be able to realize that not only are people individually human beings, but people are individually human beings with human sexuality. And that doesn't really have anything to do with this conversation. Mm. What this conversation is about is recovery. Mm-hmm. And, and if I take those steps and follow that path, then I'm taking refuge in, in what's safe. Well, I, I'm going to jump in on this because I, I'm loving this um, track that we're on. And so I'm going to jump in with a, a little bit of my experience and hopefully it'll, you know, give you guys something to kind of respond to, which is, you know, I know it's great that everyone now is wanting to sort of create non-binary, but I, I was raised in a binary culture. There were men and there were women, and there was very much a sort of an us-them experience you know yes of course I was a tomboy and but then there became you know as soon as puberty hit it was a guy girl thing and um and even the language you know what I mean like you know oh I can't understand those men or men or you know this this very sort of divisiveness around um around you know gender and also then you know, in a heterosexual framework that, you know, that men were, you know, going to, you know, that they, I needed to get a man to be partnered. So again, it was just like, you know, I'm just looking for someone who will fill this role, you know, of something that I'm looking for. And, and so my relationship to men, you know, was very, my insides to his outsides. Right. And then to go into, and I also was in a lot of different programs, but the wonderful thing that 12 step gave me was because of the rooms and because of everything you guys are saying, where it's like, you know, I think, you know, for whether it's 12 step recovery or, you know, your job, it's, you know, the quote is, you know, don't shit where you eat, you know what I mean? Like, so again, the idea of like, I need my rooms to be safe. And I need to be always be able to come to these rooms. So I don't want anything that's going to risk the safety of my room. So that's the whole, like, I don't date anyone who goes to my, my meeting, certainly my home group meeting. But because, so in that sense, it took it completely off the table. But then I'm in an environment where instead of on the outside, where it's my outsides with your outsides, and there's all this sort of like, you know, sexual currency I mean just in the water constantly you know this hyper awareness of like if I'm talking to a guy versus if I'm talking to a woman especially when I was younger and much cuter I know it's hard to imagine that I could be cuter than I am now but I was was just gonna say that (laughs) and so again but the point being is is that so let's just let's just you know open it up to some truth that outside there's a lot of like when you interact there's this hyper awareness if it's opposite and I know I'm being heterosexual and heterosexist right now but that's what I'm talking about is that heterosexist dynamic where or heterosexual dynamic where it's like oh if I'm talking to a man I'm hyper aware that I'm talking to a man and suddenly it's about like our is this someone I'm attracted to? Is this someone I'm not attracted? I mean, even we're talking about the clerk at the store, you know, is this, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's immediately put on that level of sexual attractiveness, you know, just out in the world and then coming in. And so then again, that's what I mean. Like my outsides to your outsides. And then, but then with women, it's often talking about men our insides to their outsides. Like, we don't know what's going on with them. We don't know, I don't know, you know, why do they do this? Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Am I making sense so far, Neil? I think so. Okay, so then to come into the room where it's just, and we're all there, like we've been beaten into a state of reasonableness to a certain degree, at least to where we're willing to walk into the room and say like, okay, I may be willing to admit I need some help here. You know what I mean? And that's taken off the table. Like that whole sexual, you know, guy girl thing is like, no, you got to take that off the table. A lot of people don't know how to take that off the table. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden it's, my insides 
with your insides. So I can speak and say that my experience of being in the rooms, more so with OA and Al-Anon, because in AA, oftentimes there's still a lot of posturing. But if you get a really good meeting, a really good AA meeting, then you do get a lot of the insides, you know, people sharing insides. But all of a sudden it's like, there I am listening to men talk about their insides. And they became very three-dimensional for me. Mm -hmm. Am I making sense? And all of a sudden it was like, mm -hmm. oh, I had no idea men struggled with that. I had no idea men thought. I mean, you know, and so it just, it was this incredible education for me. And for me, honestly, it really helped me to learn how to humanize men and get them out of this sort of narrative, guy, girl, men versus women, you know, men, you can't understand, Mars, Venus, you know what I mean? And sure. all of that. So that's kind of what I, so can you speak to anything that I, that I sure. just there? Yeah, because I would go to meetings and I would listen to women having, you know, multiple kids, who were eating things that they couldn't eat and having to be responsible for preparing food, staying abstinent and being in a, in a, in an early recovery stage and having to carry those responsibilities and negotiate their way into, in, in, into, you know, uh, into their OA recovery. And, um, and I, I realized that that was a very different experience than it was for me who had a wife who was in program and we ate the same way and she prepared food and stuff. Well, I, I, you know, I prepare a lot of my own food and I mean, I don't, you know, I'm more like a heater upper. I mean, I eat very healthy food, you know, but, um, uh, but my wife does cook food and, and I'll, you know, I'll have stuff in the refrigerator that, that she makes that we can eat. But, but, you know, the idea that, that, and, you know, in, in, you know, living in an Orthodox Jewish community where there could be seven or eight or 10 kids in a family, I mean, you know, these women trying to be abstinent and go to so many meetings and doing all this stuff and having all these responsibilities about having so many kids, I'm thinking, holy crap, you know, I, I'd go nuts if I had to do that. And of course, now with the situation the way it is, a lot of these kids are at home and they weren't in school. And I'm thinking, wow, I mean, what kind of chaos can we be in, in inside the house, you know, trying to, you know, be serene and, uh, um, and take care, you know, deal with self-care and have that many responsibilities. So I, I knew for myself, I was very independent. And, you know, my wife and I are really, you know, she, she teaches exercise uh, in the basement and I work from home. So we're both around, you know, and um, so we're, you know, we're together a lot of the time, but we, we live very independent, uh, separate lives too. So I've just come to see how um, important it is, or it, it's added a, a, a dimensionality to the relationships that I have in program with women to see how they live on a daily basis to, uh, you know, it used to be, you know, women would apologize because they talk about some menstrual thing or something like that. And I'd be in the room or something like that. And they would say, Oh, excuse me, Neil, for talking about it. Or like they'd, they'd get a little bit coffee clutchy in the meeting and, and they'd recognize that I was there and they'd kind of apologize to me. And when they just say, well, Neil's just one of the girls, you know, and that's what kind of it was like. And in a way, I mean, I had that as like a badge of honor. It's like I was one of the girls, you know, and and I and I liked the fact that they they appreciated my ability to be introspective about my feelings, and that was very validating because that was something that I didn't necessarily get with men. And when I got it, you know, I think in my relationship with my mother, it's like I could do that with her, but there was a certain manipulative aspect to that that made it feel not safe to do that. And so the women, I think, always, you know, they would call me up and they say, I want a man's point of view on this. And I, I really thought that was very healing for me to know that they could see me as a safe guy, you know. And, and, I've, and I've really prided myself on being a guy in program that women can count on to meet them, you know, to, to meet, make it be safe for them to be able to do that. And uh, it took a long time, you know, for me to do that. But it was something that I aspired to. And, and uh, you know, I, I was treated very, not, you know, the woman who brought me into AA stayed with me, even though our relationship was failing. She stayed with me really until my first AA anniversary. And, and, I, and it was only in retrospect that I realized that she probably stayed for several months when she really wanted to be out of there because she wanted me to get my first year. And then after that, I think she felt like, you know what, he's on his own. And... Um, and I understood that. And I, and I said, you know, and she had had men 
act in ways that weren't quite respectful, I think, uh, with her after they'd been in a relationship with her. And I said, I'm I would never do that. You know, I would never diss her and I would never, you know, do anything uh, inappropriate with a woman in program that that was our primary purpose. And so the traditions have always really been the, the, the guidelines that I use for determining what's appropriate in terms of what kind of relationships I want to have with anybody in program, but particularly women, that it needs to be safe. Like the space needs to be safe. Safety trumps anonymity every time. If somebody's acting in a way that's not right, you know, if it's a guy or something, you out that bastard, you know, like it's not, it's not okay for that to be that way. And I, I learned that and I believe that. And uh, because that's really the most important thing because we, we come in broken and um, you know, we, we learn the same things, but we don't necessarily learn them in the same order or in the same speed. And uh, you know, we have to be, we have to understand that we're all still kind of broken and we take turns, you know, listening and helping and needing and you know and that's the way it works best so um again you know more women and and therefore i i really need i haven't had to lean on more women more of the time to to, to get me right when my head's not right and to listen to me and, and thank god they you know they, they do that pretty naturally for me and you know in terms of sponsors i've had more gay men sponsors or you know, I mean, I, I'm basically sponsored by a lesbian woman right now. I mean, the sensibility is so um, much more, uh, I, I'm just more attracted to that, that, that uh, openness um, that for most of my time, and it's, you know, 37 years of program, at least half, if not more, you know, I've been sponsored by people who were, you know, in a same-sex relationship or whatever, because I just felt like there was a, an openness to it that that wasn't necessarily there otherwise and that's just the way it was i didn't seek it out it's just how it happened tim what about your thoughts are around like learning to humanize the other sex or your experience yeah you know i think i think when you were talking about the inside to outside part i think for uh at least my experience has been that was kind of sort of the trick for me about about intimacy in relationships between fellows that was healthy. Um, because I think for me, what I noticed is that um, as a man, I feel like both uh, in my community of men, both inside and outside the rooms uh, and in general, like there's a, an intimacy that I find lacking in, in my relationships with men and also with women to a certain extent. Um, like it's, you know, we, and I think men, uh, I, I won't speak for all men, but for me, I really feel like, um, although it's more easy for me to become, uh, intimate in, in terms of, you know, just closeness, not, yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, anything, but, um, I'm looking for that intimacy in relationships all the time because I'm a pretty earnest guy. I really like going deep emotionally. I like, that's the place where I want to be. So, but all of the people that I've done that with have primarily been my primary partners. Go, right, right. You kind of get that association, right? Like I am talking about things that are really important and personal in my life. You know, I've done that with like, like Neil said, my mom uh, and my sisters to some extent, but, but also with all of my primary partners that I've had through my adult life. Right. Um, so you ca it kind of gets that dynamic. And, and for a while, it was starting to confuse me about what that dynamic was, you know, and, and it's been very helpful to separate intimacy as a non-sexualized term. As soon as, as, soon as that started happening, um, that made things a lot easier for me, made things way less confusing. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. So that's a good, like, what it was like coming in and then the sort of, you know, coming into OA and then how, you know, sort of this unpacking of learning to be surrounded by women and then whatever that kind of brings up for you. First of all, the permission, you know, to, you know, 
speak about your insides. I've heard that a lot with men that they like talking to women because, you know, there's women are like, yeah, let's hear about your insides. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. You know, and then also then, you know, sort of acclimating to, oh, okay, I'm in a room of women and I can't, I can't, for my own recovery sake, I can't be in this room of women and sexualize all these women. That's not going to work. Like, you know, and so then whatever internal journey. um, And then, of course, we've touched a little uh, lightly on, you know, the sponsoring being sponsored or being sponsored by or sponsoring women. Um, But then again, is there anything else kind of moving into a little bit of what it's like now? Again, thinking about, you know, our newcomer male listeners. That's our target every time we have these men in 08 conversations is is there anything you know sort of along that journey moving into now that you would want to you know what it was like what happened and what it's like now for you as a men in a way that you would want to speak to neil yeah i i think that it was very important you know coming into another program there was a certain matter of factness to if i was powerless over something i understood the concept of powerless. And what I learned in OA was that I had a lot of ideas about how I wanted my relationship to be with food. And the fact that I couldn't make it be that way meant I was powerless. You know what I mean? Like I never really, oh, I'm powerless. I, I want to stop eating when I get to a certain point. Or, you know, I, I think back to times when I would, you know, when my wife was in OA and I wasn't in OA and I would like take some food off her plate or something like that. And I think she was really working her Al-Anon program and not stab me with a fork. <laughs> but, but, you know, that was my compulsive eating manifesting itself. I'm sorry. Let me turn that off. Um, and, and so I think for a man to come into a program, especially if he's had any um, previous involvement in a 12-step program, from an ego standpoint, I think it's pretty humiliating to, you know, it, you know, like there was one guy that used to say, you know, the idea that I, I would have to come in and say I was powerless over a ring ding or something like that was really hard for me to, you know, to admit, especially in a room full of women. And I think that's what I would impart to a newcomer, uh, a man coming in is that, you know, this is not a, a moral thing, you know, that the idea that we have a disease and if you had many other diseases and there were people in a room that could help you, a support group, you wouldn't be embarrassed to admit that you had diabetes and, you know, know, I'm having trouble staying off the sugar, how do I do it? So the idea that even without having that, that there's something about me that made me not able to avoid this situation or that's, or every time I go to a buffet, I end up doing that. Or every time I go to a party, I end up doing that or why do I break down food into protein units at a on July 4th like nobody has a strategy for a social event with their food you know like what's wrong so the idea to to cop to those things to to feel comfortable that you're going to admit in a room of largely women that you have those experiences is no one's going to judge you for that and and I think that some guys really have a hard time with that um, and ironically, I think in some ways, you know, men, I think may actually have to be a little more desperate to get themselves to come to an OA meeting, especially if they realize it's going to be women because they could be like girding for the, the shame attack that they're going to have just admitting that they're there. Um, I remember there was one guy that came into my men's meeting who was from AA and had a lot of sobriety, but he couldn't get abstinent. And he said something that I'll never forget. He says, you know, sometimes you can have too many years and not enough days. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Because your day of abstinence, you know, for me, it had to be a miracle for someone like me to be able to get a day. And and the value of that day is, is, is great to me now as it was then. But the cumulative effect of having that many days and what I stand to lose if I, that, um, I think that has been like a cornerstone uh, value that I take with me that one day of abstinence for someone like me is really a big deal. And if I can do it, even if it was like white knuckle, obsessional, crazy, I should just thank God so much at the end of the day that I was, you know, with his help or, or without his help, you know, that, that I was able to do it. Uh, but that with his help, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot better. So 
I think I, you know, I'm having a hard time staying like completely focused on your question. Um, That's so okay. I, That's I okay. hope I'm not just, you know. No, you're not. You're doing great. Thanks. All right, Tim, what about you? I think, you know, I would say stuff pretty similar to what Neil's talking about, you know. I think that we, the men that I normally see in my own experience wasn't that different, is that um, there is, guys don't really know, either don't know how or don't want to open up in public space, both for the women and for the men, actually, I would, I, I would suspect, um, because it's just really hard being vulnerable uh, for guys in society changing over time for sure. But I think right now there's still, especially when we're talking about things like food, mm -hmm. there's, um, there's a, a reticence to be able to, to open. And the only way that I've been able to recover is to kind of crack open that heart and show it to people. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only way that I, that, that that's worked for me. And then the other part of it is just, you know, the willingness to be able to identify. I mean, the, the keys to recovery in this program is identification with other people and their experience. And, you know, yes, there's 11% men, which means there's 89% women in, in group, but I've heard things that I've needed to hear from women and men in the group. And also men that I liked, men I didn't like, women I liked, women I didn't like, just if we're keeping our ears open all the time to everybody's experience, that's the way you recover. So just right. be open take it and then open up as much as you can. Right. So again, helping that newcomer, um, and I have to deal with this with women too, in terms of if a man's in the room, like helping that newcomer be like, you have to get over that. You know, this, this is a disease of isolation. The priority here is recovery. And you have to get over who's in the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. in terms of, you know, now, of course, there are instances where, and I've heard where, you know, someone doesn't feel safe in the room with, with someone else. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just in general being in the room that, you know, um, so I could sort of, again, being very, you know, hetero binary, but, you know, for women, it's like, it doesn't matter if he's in the room, you know what I mean? Stop, you know, putting the girls out, stop, like, you know, not saying anything because you're concerned about what this male is going to think of you. Like you have to just, you know, just that's not, you, you've got, however I can help you get over that is what was what needs to happen. And I would assume it would be the same. It's like at some point, and I would imagine, and again, I don't know, I need you guys that, you know, it would be harder for men. Cause for example, women were much more communicative. I mean, the, the whole joke around like that women go to the bathroom in groups, you know, and I heard a really great answer to that. Like someone said, why do women go to the bathroom or girls go to the bathroom group? And it's like, it's the only chance they have to be alone and talk to each other because outside of the bathroom, they're on, you know, it's, that's where it's like they're on, but in the bathroom is where you get into these intimate little girl, you know, female only circles where then you can really sort of talk. So mm -hmm. in that sense, women are more primed to talk in groups and to talk to other women. But man, you put that man in the room and God help us if he looks attractive in any way, you know what I mean? Or cute in any way, it just changes the dynamic. So, you know, it's, it's a two-sided thing. But I think, again, what we're all kind of speaking to is, is getting to the point where you're, you are focusing on just sharing what's true for you, getting, refocusing on why we're here, you know, what the primary purpose is. And then in doing that, I think the healing, almost the subsidiary healing of that is, um, just that we learn to humanize each other and get out of that guy girl paradigm, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. This has been very, just hearing, you know, what it might be like for women when there's a guy there is yeah. very interesting for me. You know, I, I didn't realize actually that as much of that might be going on. And well, it's not all women, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a particular couple of women where, again, you know, they were on the hunt and right. there was like, 
you know, this, this one guy. And I haven't seen that guy come back. And I'm like, yeah, because you can feel it in the room, you know? And yeah, I would not be, I, I'm not comfortable if, if I see anything like that going on. And thank God, I mean, I generally don't. Right. Um, but, you know, it's that, that I, it was inculcated very early in me that, you know, yeah. in a relationship, your first year, you know, that's a, that's a very AA thing, right? Yeah. Maybe not so much in OA, although I think it's yeah. it's true in OA as well. But but I think that that it's just too easy yeah. to have distraction and, yeah. and have that kind of an attachment to somebody. And um, also, I kept I kept thinking about that guy, like that he stopped coming. Mm-hmm. You know what but, I mean? Exactly. True. Yeah. And probably with good reason because he felt it, like you said. Yeah, because he felt it, and I, you know, I wasn't quite. I, I wasn't in relationship enough to this other woman to go like, okay, look, you went from just showing up here in your sweats to showing up in full makeup, you know what I mean? Leaning forward and attentively listening to him every, you know, I'm like, you know, it's just, and, you know, so um, that's a little bit different than, that's an exaggeration of what we're talking about. Sure. But again, so, you know, just in terms of, sort of winding down the conversation. Is there anything else you guys want to? You know, I I just kind of wanted to give you like what I've heard in in men's groups sometimes, the other side of it, specifically with body image issues, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm at the point right now where I'm um, getting around that point where I might want to have apron surgery, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And um and that is a really uncomfortable place to be in to talk about in a mixed group, I think, for some guys. Mm-hmm. I've heard other guys talk about it. That's why I say that. Yeah. Because it's, um, you know, you don't, I'm already having body image issues anyways, right? Like I'm already sort of blaming myself for getting to the weight that I got to. And also blaming myself for, you know, do I really need this surgery? Do, can I just be the way that, uh, you know, I got put on and... It, intended as label use, you know, or do I have to go and mess with it and all that sort of stuff? And then on top of it, to talk about your body in a way that you feel is unflattering in front of a group of women or other men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. You're really uncomfortable. And I think that some, some, I, I can see where that, that, that can be a sticking point for men as well. So it's yeah. not just women that have to deal with those, those sorts of issues as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I didn't realize that when women, you know, one of the things I learned in program was that that a, a woman who was feeling extra insecure would overdress when she came to a meeting. <laughs> I never knew that. It's like, oh, and if she was like that, it's like, oh, she must be having a tough day. You know, but, but I, it was good for me to know that, you know, that comparing one's insides to outsides, to other, other person's outsides, you know, yeah. that, that women are kind of head cases that way. I mean, it really leveled the playing field, but it also gave me permission to, to um, have compassion for the fact that if they're having a tough day, you know, yeah. whereas I think before I felt like if a woman was too confident or too strong, I brought some kind of competitive energy to that that totally fucked the whole thing up. Right. You know, when I, I um, you know, I had to get over myself that way. They weren't in a competition or if they were, it didn't have anything to do with me. You know what I mean? So, um, right. so again, I think, you know, women tend to kind of meet you where you are a little bit better than men do. Whereas men, I think they'll posture and they'll, you know, get face to face. I mean, my, I remember, you know, I, I, every now and then I would get into a, into a verbal altercation with somebody and, you know, as guys will do, we'll be chest to chest, like two inches away from each other, like as if we're ready to drop our gloves and have a, have a fight, you know? And she's thinking, she's thinking, my husband's going to get himself killed. And I'm thinking, aren't we having a good time? <laughs> you know? And it's like, you know, no, you know, like the guy who's like coming too close to the crosswalk and I hit the front of his car and he's yelling at me. And I'm like, this is just, this is just what guys do. She's like, sometimes, you guys, sometimes. You guys are nuts, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, it's, work, it's, you know? Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, I, sometimes I, uh, com- the conversation will lead to something and I'll, and I'll remember hearing this quote or something where it's basically like, you know, the, oh, for women, the predator is men, but, and for men, the predator is men, you mm. know, but men's male, men's only predators are other men. Right. And, um, and so, you know, it's just a very yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's, it's ego. You know what I mean? I, I, I took a gun training course actually at one point 
and um, and they were talking about what is it what is it worth taking out a gun and shooting it about and he's because he says is it ego you know and it was really like imminent loss of life was like the only reason you would ever want to take out a gun but right. that but that you know before you think about the power that you have in your hand think about the situations where you'd be most likely to feel like maybe you could use a gun and and there would be insults and arguments and all these other things that really you know, it doesn't stack up to the idea that you could shoot somebody and they could die, you know? And, uh, and it just showed how the, the male ego um, causes a lot of its own problems. And I think in my life, you know, a lot of the perception that, that life wasn't fair or I was victimized or it, life was a big conspiracy and, and, you know, it didn't matter what I did, so therefore I should be able to do whatever I want. I mean, I had all these storylines in my head that were very competitive and very hostile and, and not true. And that, uh, you know, as I felt safer in the rooms, I was able to talk about those things. And I, I think that it was helpful, you know, it was helpful for the women to hear men share about all that shit that was going on. Yeah. But it was also helpful for me to know that, um, that I wasn't going to be demonized for doing that either, you know. So there was a real... Um, you know, I use the word healing just because, you know, you share your vulnerabilities. And I think ultimately you think, you know, it's safe. It's safe to not have to be perfect. Yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that heals the whole dynamics, crazy dynamics between men and women is, is you know, we come here to get comfortable in our own skin. So we don't have to posture. Or we don't have to, you know, act like we think someone wants us to act. We just are who we are. I mean, that's the beauty of, of the 12-step process is that once we get past, you know, six and seven, you know, we're really beginning to understand how we got the way we are and, and begin to look at how we want to be. And of course, we still have to do the amend steps, but six and seven to me, those were always kind of like get ready, get set kind of steps. And I thought, no, this is where the shit happens. Like, this is where you really change. This is yeah. like where the actions. The other parts, information gathering and then realizing when you share with your sponsor that they're not going to run out of the room and that basically you're okay even if you're not okay. I mean, if you're, even if you're messed up. But when you realize you're still powerless over those defects when you're mixing it up in the real world and that you, you need to bring God into it like much, much more than I was willing to do before, that that's where the real substantive, the permanent can change can take, especially amends to myself. So, um, and, and of course, once I, you feel more comfortable in your own skin, I mean, you just listen to anybody share. It's like, you know, it's like, I, I, I will fall in love with women when they share, when they tell their story. I mean, it's a kind of, I mean, it's yeah. not really falling in love, but it's like, I love anybody who, when I hear them share, it's like so brave. They're so whatever, it's like, boy, they're really putting it out there. It's like, really, they're just reminding us that we're all, we're all proud, you know, we're proud, we're brave. We want good things for ourselves and for other people, and like we're just doing the best we can. But when you're up there doing it, talking, it's uh, it's just inspiring. They just remind us of so many things that are inside of us that went to sleep. Um, and you know, whether it was women or men, you know, to me, I was always looking for a, you know, uh, I, I want to be inspired, and you right. know, just get that in program, like you know, an hour at a time, like every day, as many meetings as we want to go to. So, Tim. Do you have any sort of last thoughts or closing comments? I sort of do, but I, I feel like it's going to be a tangent. Anyways. Um, I want a tangent. Bring it. Well, then, all the other thing that I tend to notice, like, at meetings nowadays that I see is that um, I'm being really careful about watching how much I share. I'm a bit of a statistics person. And I feel like sometimes there's a, a room that has 30 people in it and there's five guys and every single one of those guys talks. And, and I think that doesn't match the ratio, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, and, and, and I think that's again, part of how we get raised as men is that our voices are supposed to be there, you know? Yeah. And I, and I really feel like the more I'm talking, the, you I'm not necessarily hearing and I have to really, I'm starting to consciously pull myself back now. Well, I, I want to speak to that because I don't think the solution is for those men not to talk. I think the solution, and this is what I work on, just so you know, Tim, is I'm like telling my 
you know, my women, I'm like, you have to open your mouth. You know, I need you to speak. And so that's why, you know, for my meeting, we started doing claim your seat, you know, because I couldn't get them to share. And I said, okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to, you know, just claim your seat. You're going to say, hi, my name is blank. I'm just here to, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm just here to claim my seat. So I would not want any of those. I, I totally hear what you're saying. And I think this is a great topic because if this were a business, a professional corporate meeting, you know, and there were like 10 women and five men and those five men dominated the conversation, I, I would be like, absolutely. You know, why don't you learn to shut the fuck up and listen? You know what I mean? And, and, share the mic with other people. So I'm so glad you brought this up because then what we've got is we've got a recovery room where if, if these, now here's the thing, you know, my thing about, and this is hypothetical, right? If those five men are mansplaining the program to everyone, then they need to learn to shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? And learn to listen. But if those men are risking doing what we've been talking about, which is actually sharing their insides to a group of people, then I applaud them wholeheartedly. And the solution is not to make them be quiet. The solution is to take the quiet ones and talk about like, we understand the terror of opening your mouth. Let's take, and that you're listening and feeling maybe to some degree like you can't do what other people are doing. And I actually have these policies. So that's where we started with the just claim your seat. Just claim your seat. Learn to like hear your voice out loud. You know, it'll, it takes less than a minute. And then what I do with them is I'm like, okay, so during the meeting, you've got to claim your seat, learn to use your voice, you know, again, baby steps. Then after the meeting, I want you to go up and talk to someone. So do you get what I'm saying, Tim? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. I think that, you know, but I have been in meetings, and I don't want to go off on this tangent, given that I want to respect people's time. But I had, and Neil will also kind of appreciate this. There was a meeting that was um, one of my standard meetings. And there was an AA guy who came in. And he was a big shot in AA and had a lot of time and he was huge and he would come in and he would mansplain AA to us. And it was so hard. I mean, I'm watching him die in front of me. I right. mean, uh, the, you know, and he, he wouldn't have been doing a lot of that if I was there. I'll tell right. you. <laughs> right. Not after the first meeting. Yeah. I, if, I, if I was having a good day, I'd wait till after the meeting. Yeah. Say, uh, but if this was like, you know, and, and it, I know it wasn't just me, but what I had to, and, and for people who are listening, what I had to do was, he became my biggest spiritual teacher. You know what I mean? That again, this sort of speaks to, I think, you know, what you were talking about. I can't remember if it was Tim or Neil. Well, I just had to let him be where it's at. Mm -hmm. And then what I had to do in my program was to look at like what I was reacting to and that he was sort of reflecting a behavior that I used to do, you know, and that I'm terribly ashamed of now was that in early recovery, I would use my time to share, to educate the room on what the text was about, because I was just very academic. And that was the best that I could do at the time. Yeah, sure. But um, so I do, I think this is a great topic and certainly something that we can bring up in future thing around, sure. you know, the mansplaining, which is definitely um, an issue versus getting men to speak yes. their truth Mm -hmm. and and feel safe enough to speak that basically there's mansplaining is you know mm -hmm. you're speaking from your head you know what i mean and you're speaking yeah. Yeah. and you know sharing is like share your heart with us you mm -hmm. know what i mean share your fears with us share your we all know you're here you're not fooling anyone and, you know, there are people who will talk from their head but they're they're doing the best they can. Like you can see the, the desire to belong as yeah. the motivator. Yeah. If you're paying attention, you know. And yeah. I mean, ultimately, that, that's it. I mean, if we're listening, and you, you said that, really, is that yeah. if we're listening, it's all okay. 
Yes. Because we're looking for the lesson and then it really doesn't matter what they say. It's what our reaction is anyhow. And I, and I think that's what we all try to, you know, we all recognize it when we see it. And I think a good meeting is one where everyone participates and, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll often say if I'm, you know, moderating in a meeting, I'll say, you know, I know there's someone out there who really wants to talk, but the, you know, the, you know, their yeah. arm weighs a thousand pounds. Come on, you can do it. You know, and I, yeah. I do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, when people call me and it's like, you know, I've only been in the program two days, but somebody gave me your number and I'm calling you up. I'm like, I make such a big deal about that because I want to support anybody who's willing to do, to, to get outside of the comfort zone. Because one yeah. of the things that really keeps you going in program is knowing that recognizing that change is a natural part of life and over, right. you know, getting outside of your comfort zone is good for business, you know, yeah. in the recovery world, that any way they do that. Yeah. And, and when you're calling up and you say, I'm having a really shitty day, tell me why I shouldn't eat today, that you may be doing the biggest service of anybody today, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. you're putting someone in a position to help you and in your moment of need, you're actually doing service as well. So, you know, it's all... A team sport you know this is all a team sport and we're all trying to find our voice you know because we all you know what do we do we tell our story what it was we like tell our stories yeah yeah and we have to learn our stories so i want to go ahead and end here this has been awesome thank you guys so much